So James Bond, 007, was driving down a country road at the beginning of uh, The World is Not Enough, and he sees two helicopters with buzz saws hanging down from them. They look like this. And uh, so what do we know about these two helicopters now that we've seen them? We know they'll be back later to attack James Bond, right? That's a rule that scripts follow. It's, uh, it, it goes like this. If a sealed envelope appears in Act 1, it needs to be opened and read in Act 3. That's the way scripts work. Well, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, could have been a script writer because he uh, brings something up in uh, the Gospel of Luke that he comes back to again in really Act 3 in the book of Acts. In Luke, it is uh, a disaster, a horrible failure. And in Acts, it's a triumphal ending and, and change in the situation. And, and so we're going to take a look at those two. It is about faithfulness. Char- faithfulness is a character trait of Jesus. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that we're looking at. And it's something that we all want to have. Faithfulness is steadfastness, reliability, commitment. It's carefulness in keeping what we are entrusted with. And most of us, we want to be faithful. Uh, We want to be reliable and trustworthy in life and in relationships and in our faith. But what happens when we're not? Years ago, uh, I became friends with a a co-worker and uh, we had each other's back. We trusted each other. We always looked out for each other. Uh, and one day I was walking in from the, uh, into the main office and she said, oh, there you are. The boss is looking for you uh, out in the parking lot. And I went, oh, okay. So I walk out to the parking lot and there's the boss in his car uh, driving away. And I wave at him and he waves back. And uh, huh, that's interesting. So, uh, I, you know, I, I walk back in and there's my friend in the lobby laughing. <laughs> so I can take a joke. Uh, You know, I'm not mad, but I took her aside and I said, I need you to promise never to do that again or anything like that. Um, It's because the way trust works is I trust you and I'm going to follow your instructions. I'm going to do what you ask me to do because I believe you have my best interest at heart. If I lose that trust, it's going to change the relationship. We'll still be friends. But it'll be different, and I think it'll be worse. Um, that's the way faithfulness works. We're, we're faithful or we're not. And she promised, and we've been great friends for years and years and years. Uh, and the thing about us as Christians is that we are called. We are destined to faithfulness. It's like Jesus. We're, we're, we are a, a follower of his, and we are to become like him and, um, but is it possible to lose our faithfulness? Yes. Does God still love us if we do? Yes. And can he restore us when we lose our faithfulness? Absolutely. And Luke wants us to learn this story through Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. 
So staying with our James Bond reference, um, in a James Bond movie, before anything happens, even before the credits, there's a stinger, it's called. It's the opening scene, a big action uh, set piece that sometimes has something to do with the rest of the plot uh, that's coming forward. And uh, Luke gives us a stinger. He, he gives us an opening um, story that sets up the rest of the plot. Uh, and it's, around, it's about Peter, so I'm going to give you a little background on Peter before we get to the text. But Peter is this self-reliant and uh, self-confident person, and he loves Jesus. If there's a line that, uh, to serve Jesus or to be with Jesus, Peter's at the front of the line. You know, he is bigger than life. He once cut a man's ear off trying to protect Jesus when Jesus was being arrested. I mean... Peter is this larger-than-life kind of guy. And there's something Peter doesn't know about himself that's going to get him in big trouble. It turns out that in Peter's life and in ours, others know things about us that we don't. Others know things about us that we don't. You see, Jesus knew something about Peter that Peter didn't know about himself. And this thing was going to get Peter in big trouble. Um, We would be amazed at how much others around us know about us that we don't know about ourselves. Because we don't ask, right? And and they don't tell. Uh, Peter, Jesus knew something about Peter that Peter didn't know about himself. Uh, And so we read about it in Luke chapter 22. It says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you disciples as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned your back, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Pete, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Simon was a fisherman when Jesus met him. And when Jesus called him to be a disciple, he gave him a new name, Peter. So Simon Peter, uh, he had been Simon all his life, but three years ago when Jesus called him to be a disciple, he gave him the new name Peter. So Simon was this name that related to his old life. Peter was the name that related to his new life. Uh, And uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I was, my middle name is Scott. And for the first 17 years of my life, I went as Scotty. Everybody knew me as Scotty. Uh, Until I got a job and I got a checkbook. And on the checkbook, it said Neil Scott. And so I went, you know what, I'm going to go by my first name. So by by the time I was into college, everybody knew, knew me as Neil, and I just want you to imagine if one of my coaches or teachers or a church leader that knew me in college came up to me, put their hand on my shoulder and said, Scotty, Scotty, what, what would be going through my head? Oh, what did I do wrong? What's, what's the matter? Why are you calling me that? What, what's going on? And I think that's what happened with Peter when Jesus walks up to him and says, Simon, Simon. Peter's like, what? What? Did I do something again? 
And um, we find out soon enough, Jesus says, brother, you are about to fall in a big way. And I'm warning you now. So does Peter respond in a way that we hope we would respond if someone talked to us? No, he responds the way we probably would respond, defensively, right? He says, I'd go to prison and even death for you. Uh, Jesus knows something about Peter that Peter doesn't know about himself. There's a fear inside Peter that is going to trip him up. I don't know what that fear is. Maybe it's fear of authority, uh, fear of death. That's a good one. But something is going to happen uh, and Peter's going to get tripped up. Jesus warns him about it, but Peter is having none of it. Jesus isn't able to poke any holes of reality and realism into Peter's overinflated sense of uh, self-assurance, which begs the question, how do we find out what others know about us because what we don't know can hurt us? And so here we go. I'm going to ask the, the advanced students in the class to finish this, uh, to finish this sentence. To find out what others know about us, ask. Yeah, I'd start simple. It gets more complicated, right? But it is obvious, but it is not easy. We very seldom ask others what they know about us that we don't know about ourselves. I had an elder at a church that uh, I went to lunch with, and he, I'd been at the church long enough for him to know about me and to know me. My friend Ken Blanchard says that uh, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So I said to this elder, hey, um, you know, how, how are things going? You know, how am I doing? And uh, he said, if you fail, stop there. What? Uh, if I fail, when did failure become part of this conversation? I didn't even know that was an option. I thought I was doing pretty well come to think of it so did peter right so i'm in good i'm in good company with peter at this point so the elder continued if you fail it will because be because you are lazy and unprepared wow i said don't sugarcoat it <laughs> you know give it to me straight you know i could have been defensive you know i could have reacted in all kinds of ways i i said i know you are but what am i in my mind, <laughs> out of my mouth, I said, uh, thank you for caring enough uh, about me to share so honestly. So fast forward, years later, that elder uh, came to me and he said, I just want you to know, you've really changed. Whew, <laughs> thank God. Thank God I'm moving on. The things are getting better. Um, but it is absolutely not easy to ask if you do find someone you trust and you arrange to ask, then ask in an intentional way with an open mind and a willing heart. Oh, it's so important. We have to listen to the feedback of our peers and our mentors, our kids, when we have them, um, and let them play the role of an honest mirror in our life. Now, this is, as I say, this is not easy. Uh, you know, it takes some work. If we're going to do it, we have to do it well. We can't be driving the car and go, fine, 
what do you know about me that I don't know? That, that's, not, that's not what we mean. We mean to go into it graciously and um, with this open mind and a willing heart. So I just want you to turn to one another and ask them, what's one thing? No, we're not going to do that, right? It, it would be horrible. And, and the person would go, I'm not doing that. This is not easy, but it's so helpful if we will do it. Take the time to, to, to be careful about it, to find someone that we trust, someone that cares about us, and, and take a moment to do it. And then we take that feedback to the Lord. This isn't just self-help. This is, this is going to God and saying, Lord, what about this feedback that my friend gave me is, is true of me that I need to own? Lord, what do you want to say to me out of this? What can I learn from you, Jesus? And then, something that's always very important, listen. Listen to the Lord. Listen for what he says to you. And, and he will speak if we will ask and listen. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Deep water. If you go fishing at the ocean, uh, you drop your hook uh, and bait down and sinker. If it goes down just a few feet, you, it, it disappears. You, you cannot see deep down in the water. But, but, uh, but it goes down very deep, and when we catch something, we have to bring it up before we can even see what it is that's at the end of our line. That's what Proverbs say. Our purposes a lot about us is deep inside us and we need friends and people we trust to help pull up what's down there inside us. Um, and we need to tell our friends that what we want is open and honest, critical and objective feedback and thank them because it won't be easy for them either. either. It's a big risk. It's hard to give that kind of feedback. Um, it is an incredible gift when someone will do it. And it is so helpful to get that information. So what do we do with that information? What do we do with that kind of knowledge? How do we live our lives so that we aren't as defensive and overconfident as Peter was with Jesus? We do this. Take life off autopilot. Take life off autopilot. How many of you know, I'm sure all of you, have experienced driving I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and then you wake up and realize, I've been driving for 10 or 15 minutes. I don't remember anything. Did I go through red lights? I'm pretty sure I didn't hit anyone. I would have noticed that. But why, why do we, how can we do that? Our minds are on autopilot. Our brains are designed to conserve energy because it takes a lot of energy to not get eaten in this world, right? That's what our brains are designed to do, protect us. And so it, it, it conserves energy. It's that fight or flight experience in us. So our brains are always asking a, a question, constantly asking a question about everything we experience, about, about people that we meet or new concepts that we hear or new ideas, new situations that asks this, can I eat it? And can it eat me? And if, those, if the answer is no, it says ignore it. Ignore it. So, the pro, so that's good if we're in that kind of a world. But the problem is autopilot is not good for complicated 
uh, thought processes. It doesn't work very well when you have something um, complicated or difficult to work on. And autopilot doesn't ask our permission. Autopilot sneaks up on us and just happens, and it tries to stay engaged as long as possible. So, for instance, people my parents' age, sometime around 1947, went on autopilot about buying American cars. Right? They said, you have to buy American. Uh, and the problem is that by 1997, Toyota was one of the most American cars you can buy. The Toyota Camry is ranked number one American-made car because of the number of components that are made domestically and because it's made in Kentucky. It employs 7,500 people in that one uh, factory. So people like my dad, uh, they need to get off autopilot because he was a Ford GM or Pontiac guy. You got to buy American. Dad, why? Because they employ Americans. Yeah, Toyota's employing 7,500 Americans. It's complicated. And, and autopilot doesn't work well for that. It doesn't lend itself to thoughtful reflection or living up to our own standards, our own values, our own faith. Those are really high-minded concepts that don't help us survive. It wants to tamp all that down and just survive. Peter had standards and values. He had faith. He truly believed and meant, I am willing to go to prison and death for Jesus. And given the right circumstances, he'd do it. But when his brain's on autopilot, when fear is in place, it, it's trying to avoid all of that kind of stuff. And so his fear kicks in and his autopilot will lead him into probably the worst possible example of a follower of Jesus losing his faithfulness at the worst possible time. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. It says this, Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest, Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter said with them, uh, Peter sat with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know you, he said. A little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So clearly, it is possible to lose our faithfulness. Why did he weep bitterly? Because that crowing rooster snapped him out of autopilot. And suddenly he realized, oh my gosh, I have denied Jesus. The one thing in the world I never wanted to do. And not only that, he realized 
Not only have I denied Jesus, Jesus knew I was going to do it. And he warned me about doing it. And I did it anyway. Oh, can you imagine the bitterness and the remorse and the shame and the guilt? He had stayed on autopilot and let fear and fight and flight direct his responses. But I just want to say, you know, when I come to a text like this, I want to ask some questions. Like, don't you want to ask Peter, dude, seriously, why did you not get it? How, after being warned, did you not, after you did it the first time, go, oh my gosh, I just did it. I just did what Jesus said I was going to do. I have got to get out of here. Okay, you're a little thick, you know, twice. Okay, after twice? And then what does it say? An hour later. You stayed an hour after denying Jesus two times and you didn't go, I have got to get out of here. No, I'm going to hang out with these people. I'm going to stay with them. So that they go the third time and he denies him. Ah, but we don't have to ask him. We already know why. Because he was on autopilot. Because even though others knew things about him that he didn't know about himself, he wasn't listening. But the great news is the opposite of autopilot is self-awareness. Self-awareness, it's this, it's this experience we have of knowing ourselves, knowing our personality, knowing about how we respond and how we act, what stimulates us, what shuts us down. Our strengths, our weaknesses, our thoughts and beliefs, our emotions, what motivates us. And we can increase our self-awareness, but it's going to take work. It's going to take practice, but I have an exercise for you. It's just this, work backward from the end. Work backward from the end. And what I mean by that is, think about, you got to plan this ahead of time. you got to trick autopilot. you got to plan ahead of time. So think about maybe an up upcoming conversation that you're going to have, or a meeting that you're going to go to, or a dinner that you might have, and plan ahead for the end. What do you want the outcome to be? What do you want the people to feel who are in the conversation? What do you want the, the outcome to be in terms of the conversation that was had? I just had this experience Friday night. We were at a couple's dinner, and friends of ours, and I wanted everyone to feel welcome and to feel like they had a part uh, in it. It's very easy for me, I know this is shocking that I would say this, but you know, for, to keep talking, right? It, I do this for a living, and I could tell you story after story after story, but eventually their eyes start to roll up in the back of their head. And um, so I need to say, I want everyone to have a chance. Well, what's going to happen if we think about the end in, in, at the beginning and plan for it? We'll begin to say things to ourselves like, I need to speak less and listen more. I need to talk less about myself and ask more about them, right? And then, when we get into that meeting, having done that kind of work, we need to have an intentional, ongoing conversation with Jesus, parallel to what's going on, saying, Lord, how am I doing? Is there anything I need to work on? Is, how do I need to be kinder? 
more joyful with this person? Is this a time to be patient and, and let the Spirit speak to us in, in that? Imagine what an active process that would be in our life um, to, to have that kind of experience going on. So let me just encourage you, work on that. Find an opportunity and practice it. But we have to get to poor, back to poor Peter. Oh my gosh, this guy, he's now just devastated. He's ooze on the ground. He's, he's, he's ashamed. He's, he's embarrassed. He doesn't want to see the other disciples. He's, uh, he's broken. He's denied his Lord. He has not been faithful. All right, so I said at the beginning that there's an act one and an act three. Advanced students, what, uh, what do you have to have in between those? Act two. That is in John chapter 21. We don't have time to get there, but it's, it's a very familiar story, and it's in you version. There's some information about it. But in, in John 21, Jesus engages with Peter. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? So in this one, you are pro- some of you are familiar with it. Jesus engages with Peter, the resurrected Jesus, after the crucifixion, after he's been risen. Jesus goes to Peter and three times says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? It's an unbelievable story of restitution, of forgiveness, of love. So the questions that we asked at the beginning, can we lose our faithfulness? Yes. Does Jesus still love us? Yes. Will he forgive us? Yes. That's John. Uh, and But we need to uh, go beyond that and to say, and can we find our faithfulness again? Can we grow beyond who we are, just forgiven, just loved? Yes, that's a great thing. But you know that bumper sticker that says, uh, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. I don't want to be uh, imperfect, just forgiven. I want to learn from my mistakes and grow and, and continue on. So we have to rush on to Act 3 because that's where, the, that's, that's where the big conclusion is. So remember that if a sealed envelope is shown in Act 1, it has to be opened and read in Act 3. So uh, the envelope in Luke chapter 1, the helicopter with buzz saws uh, in Luke is this, Peter is in the courtyard of the high priest, accused of being with Jesus and denying it out of fear, right? That's what we read. That's what we know. That's the sealed envelope. The thing that is so amazing is that that story, that envelope is so carefully duplicated in the book of Acts that it has got to be a script, not written by Luke, written by God for the sake of Peter and all of us to see what can happen when we do something. So I want to, I before we get to it, I want us to see what happens. How do we move from John and forgiveness and love to completion, to being successful, to, to doing well in our faith? We have to do this. Commit to unwavering development. Commit to unwavering development. Now, normally you see things like, you know, where you say, well, work on spiritual growth. Okay, but how are we doing with that? I, I, I want to I shake us up a little bit and just say, listen, commit yourself 
to unwavering development. You are going to keep growing, keep moving, keep moving forward, keep developing the characteristics of Jesus. That's what Peter did. He, he went from Jesus forgiving him and he said, I am going to live into this. I can't believe I'm so loved. After everything I've done, I am going to uh, move forward. He began cultivating the character traits of Jesus. And here's what happened. As we get into the book of Acts, we see he didn't just preach about Jesus. He lived like Jesus. He healed like Jesus. He became the presence of God like Jesus. So much so that he began to get in trouble with the same people that Jesus got in trouble with. Um, and specifically, he healed a man and then he preached Jesus out of that healing. And the leaders of the synagogue and all that got so mad at him that they arrested Peter and John and threw him in jail overnight. Uh, and so there he is. He's in jail. Just remember the envelope. Peter denied even knowing Jesus while standing in the courtyard of the high priest while Jesus was being challenged and judged and questioned by the high priest, other priests, and members of the priest's family. All right? Let's open the envelope. Luke chapter, or Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 13. The elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Stop there. Where's Peter? In the house of the high priest with other priests and members of the high priest's family. It is likely the same place. He may very well be standing in the same courtyard with the same people around him that he'd been in just a few weeks ago. And if he isn't there, he is probably where Jesus was standing when he was being challenged by who? The same people. And it's beginning to dawn on him, oh my gosh, it's happening again. It's like a horror movie where the same thing starts to happen again. And now what's going to happen? Uh, and maybe he was nervous, I'm not sure. But now Peter is in Jesus' place, the one accused. And they ask him this, by what power or what name did you do this? And suddenly, the lights go on. Autopilot shuts off. I think, I think this is when Peter's nerves turn to steel. He might have been nervous. He might have been afraid, like, oh my gosh, it's happening again. But then, when they ask him this question, by what power or what name did you do this? He's like, oh my gosh. I'm getting a second chance. God has brought me into this place so that I don't have to live with that anymore. You can feel the goosebumps on his arms when he says this, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, how he was healed? Do you ever have that experience? You know what it feels like to have adrenaline rush into your system? You're excited or you're afraid? Here's what happened. Your ears start to buzz. 
and your eyesight narrows and you don't pay attention to anything else going on around you. I think that's what's going on with Peter. He's totally focused. And the, the Holy Spirit is filling him. And I think he pauses at that moment and he looks at John like, can you believe this is happening? And John looks at him and he's like, go for it. Go for it, bro. You got this. And he turns his gaze on Annas the high priest. That's all he can see. And he says this, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. Right? Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved oh you could just see him like oh my gosh i got it out i did it i'm no longer that simon the failed one i'm peter i think he was breathing hard and his palms were moist and he had to take a minute for his head to clear and his eyesight to expand. And when it expanded, he saw this room full of people as silent as all of us. And power had come from him because they, it says next, this wonderful thing, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What had been the failure of Peter the first time? That he denied being with Jesus. And now, no one would believe him. Now everyone sees, oh my gosh, this guy has been with Jesus. And it's a completely different experience than what they meant the first time. No one could possibly believe that this man would ever deny Jesus. And neither would Peter think that ever again. Peter, who hadn't known about himself what others like Jesus had known about him. Peter, who had been running his life on autopilot. Peter, who had denied Jesus and then experienced love and forgiveness. Peter, who had committed himself to unwavering development. That Peter, that man was without question faithful in the moment. Let me ask you a question. Have you felt like you've been unfaithful or tempted to be? That you feel like, I'm afraid that if I really look, if I ever ask somebody about myself, I'd discover about myself that I've done so much that Jesus can't forgive me, that he won't love me. If you feel that way, if you have a sense of, I don't know that I could ever be strong enough in my faith, Peter is your guy. Peter is our guy. Peter's the guy who on the most horrible night in the history of the world, when Jesus looked death in the face, 
And he needed his community. He needed his friends to support him. And he turned and he looked at Peter just in time to see him denying that he even knew him. And Jesus loved him anyway and forgave him anyway. And he loves us. Let me invite you to experience that love, that forgiveness. You can take anything and lay it before him. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he forgives you. Live into it. Let's go with unwavering development. So there's just two things. We've already heard them. Things you can work on. I just want to invite you. Ask. Ask someone. Go to somebody and say, I am trying to grow in my faith. Would you gently, nicely, graciously share something with me you know about me? And then... Think about an opportunity with the end in mind. How would you like this to happen? Parents of teenagers, this is a good one. Because you know what? If you think about the way these things happen, it's as if we said, you know what, you know what would be really great? Is if at the end of this conversation, they slam their door and never come out of their room again. Because that seems to be the way it works. But if we said, I don't want that, imagine how it would change how we enter into that and we live through that. A couple things to work on. But let me just invite you to live into this experience of God that it doesn't matter what happened in Act 1 of our life. Act 2 is when Jesus forgave us and loved us and invited us to live with him. And we got Act 3 to live into this unbelievable opportunity to become the people we are destined to be. There's really just one question that Jesus wants us to answer. It's not about why did you do that? Why did, what were you thinking? He was never going to ask us any of that. He just asks, do you love me?